Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear from Tyler Coates. Finally had the chance to just like breathe and catch my thoughts and just like realize that like the rational explanation for what just happened was that I almost fucked a ghost. That and more. But first, folks, the next two Risk live shows that you can catch in person, on stage, or via live stream are coming up. The Risk Los Angeles show finally returns on March 15th at 7 p.m. Pacific time at the Hotel Cafe. David Crabb will be there. Katie Featherston, Keisha Zoller, Jakey Fenn Stratton, and Brian Kett. They'll all be performing again. That's March 15th at 7 p.m. at Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles. Then a couple nights later on March 17th, Risk is back in New York at Caveat on the Lower East Side at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I will be there. Aton Levine, Tracy Segarra, Molly McCloy, and DJ Crystal Clear will all be sharing stories. We have been working on these stories with these folks. They're amazing, and we are so excited to be back up and running in both New York and Los Angeles again. You can get tickets for those live shows or for the live streams at risk-show.com slash tour. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Byron Metcalf behind me now. We are calling this week's episode Bad Romance. Three very different stories about uh, progressively badder romances. It's kind of cool what we've done here, though. We've taken one story that was recorded at a live show years ago at The Pit in New York City, and then we've taken a story that was recorded during the lockdown in 2020 during one of our live streams, and then we've taken a new story that we, we... We've turned all of these into sound-designed radio sort of stories. So in the first story, you will hear the audience in the theater, but at the same time, all this, like, music and sound design, as well as the second one, you'll be able to tell that the storyteller was telling the story during a live stream, during the lockdown. But again, there's that sort of cinematic treatment that we gave it. So in a little bit, we are going to hear from Gabby Conti. Gabby has a podcast called Am I Dating a Serial Killer? And a brand new book called 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at It's Gabby Conti. 
Our editor, Jeff Barr, worked his magic on Gabby's story. But before that, we're going to hear from writer Tyler Coates, a story that Tyler told in 2014 at the Risk Live show in New York City. You can find Tyler on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler Coates. Our editor, Hope Brush, brought her magic to this one. So here is Tyler Coates now with a story we call Ghost Date. About two years ago, I was very, very boy crazy. I mean, I still am, but two years ago, it was like hitting my peak. I was pretty much searching for someone, anyone, and any place I could find, which involved OkCupid, some dating apps I'd rather not name, Twitter, because why not? But a thing that I never really did, I was never very good at going to bars and meeting people, mostly because I'm physically incapable of speaking to a stranger and having a witty conversation. And also I think that like, I guess my face just looks like I'm constantly smelling shit and no one wants to come talk to me. I don't know if that's true, but my approachability is very low, basically. But um, again, two years ago, early days of spring, hormones were in the air and I was feeling very adventurous. So I decided to go someplace where I knew I wouldn't have to speak to anyone. So I went to a place called Sugarland, which if you're unfamiliar with Sugarland, it's a bar in Williamsburg. It's sort of like an industrial like warehouse motif with a lot of smoke machines and lasers and just filled with turds, I would describe them as. Just the worst humans in the world. And I went in knowing exactly what I was going to get. So, you know, that's the awareness I had and that's just to give you some context of what I expected. So I went in, paid my $10, because that's the kind of place it is, bought my $6 PBR, and uh, made my way to the throng of bodies dancing to some Lana Del Rey remix, I'm sure, because that's the type of music they play. It's really great. And, you know, trying to make eye contact, trying to not make eye contact, and finally caught the eye of this young man who um, wasn't really my type. He was really tall and skinny, and I'm really tall and skinny, and I'm like, don't want to fuck myself. Uh, because I just imagined it would be like two xylophones just like slamming into just bones, bones up and down. But I was like, whatever. So I made my way over, we are bumping into each other and eventually he had his mouth on my mouth and I was like, all right. And about two minutes of that, he whisper screamed into my ear. I was like, do you want to go back to my house? And I was like, yes, I want to go back to your house. So we start walking back to his house, some random place in Brooklyn. I don't really know the area very well, but as we're walking, we're making conversation, getting to know each other, and he asks me if I'm from New York, and I say no. I grew up in Virginia and lived in Chicago after I graduated from college and had just moved to New York maybe about a year before then. And so he said, oh, how old are you? And I said, 28, and he reacted by going, ugh. <laughs> and I said, oh, um, how old are you? And he said, 20. And I reacted in the same way, but because I'm tactful, my reaction was silent and in my head and processing all of the choices that I had made and how upset I was about them. But I went along with it, so I was like, oh, are you from New York? And he said, no, he had just moved up from D.C. And I was like, oh, for college? And he said, no, I graduated two years ago. When I say I'm not good at math, 
I mean that like I stopped at pre-calc. I like know 20 minus two is 18 and people don't graduate college at 18. So something was up. And before I could ask him, he just started laughing and says, yeah, I lied, I'm 22. And before I could process that, we were at his front door where I knew I had to make a decision. I could either leave with dignity and grace or I could go into his apartment with him. And to give you a broader context of why I made the following decision, I would say that about 80% of my sexual experiences are based on me being too polite to say, uh, no, no. I'm Southern, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So I went inside. And I immediately was like taken aback by how large his apartment was. It was very nice, like a huge kitchen living room and like a separate bedroom. But before I could even like take in the floor plan, my eyes like immediately saw the gigantic Breakfast at Tiffany's poster that was framed up on the wall. And I was like, okay, this is really confusing the character sketch that I'm compiling in my head to explain this person. And before I could even ask any questions or come up with a plan, he said, I'm hungry, I'm gonna order Domino's, you want any? And it was like 2.30, 3 o'clock, I was like, no, I'm cool, thanks. He's like, you sure? I'm gonna order mac and cheese and lasagna. Like really patting himself on the back about this decision, like it's the best thing that anyone's ever done. I was like, no, and like, you know, dejected sat on the couch being like, what am I gonna do? How do I get out of this? So he sat on the couch next to me after he ordered his Domino's and was like, oh, do you want to put on a movie? And I'm like, yes, let's put on a movie, like 10 minutes, ignore it, like make out shirts, pants come off, I go to sleep, we're done. <laughs> so he's slipping through the channels and with this great bout of excitement, he goes, oh, Rabbit Hole is on On Demand. Now, <laughs> Rabbit Hole is a, is a beautiful, touching film. I would say deeply affecting. Uh, Stellar performances by Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart, who play a young couple who are going through a tough time, specifically the death of their three-year-old son that takes place about six months before the film begins. And I was like, um, look, I don't think, maybe we could find something a little lighter, like a comedy or something. And he just like looks at me with the meanest stare I've ever received from anyone. And he's like, I really like Nicole Kidman, so I'm gonna put on Rabbit Hole. And I was like, all right, bye. And like literally like leaned back on the couch and like am asleep before the group therapy scene starts. God had to take her. He needed another angel. He needed another angel. Why didn't he just make one? Another angel. I mean, He's God, after all. Why didn't he just make another painting? About two hours later, I wake up, and I know it's two hours because the credits are rolling, and I'm like, oh, that was a nice little nap. Now it's real bedtime. And I look to my right, and this the gentleman whose home I had come to uh, was not sitting on the couch. I was like, that's weird. So I walk into the bedroom, which is dark, and I don't see him. Walk back out into the living room, peek into the bathroom, which is wide open, no man in sight. And I walk back into the living room, and I'm like, huh, like, there's no evidence of Domino's having been delivered or eaten. That's interesting, but there's Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is on. I'm not making that up. That would have been a real weird coincidence if I'd, like, slept walk and went into another apartment, and they were also watching Rabbit Hole. <laughs> so I went back into the bedroom and actually turned on the light and was looking around, didn't see him, but was starting to take in the Lily Pulitzer Easter Parade kind of aesthetic and the Lennons and the 
the bedding and I was like, okay, filing this away, thinking about that, some clues. And went back into the living room and again was like, my eye was trained on the very large poster of Audrey Hepburn and I realized this was not a 22-year-old man's apartment. This was obviously a young woman's apartment. I don't know who she was. She wasn't there. I was there by myself. I should not have been. <laughs> so I immediately ran out the door quietly because I didn't want to wake up the neighbors. Again, politeness. And uh, didn't really think about anything, like what was going on. I could just hear like Robert Stack like narrating an Unsolved Mysteries episode in my head. <laughs> And like by some magical thing, like I you know ran out the front door in like whatever greenbush Brooklyn neighborhood I was in, <laughs> and there was a cab like coming my way, which never happens in Brooklyn ever anywhere. So I got in it, hailed it, got in it, and like finally had the chance to just like breathe and catch my breath and catch my thoughts and just like realize that like the rational explanation for what just happened was that I almost fucked a ghost. Like, I literally was led from Sugarland by a tall, skinny, rude, hunger, starving ghost who loved Nicole Kidman. When I turned 27 years old, I began to freak out because I was living here in Los Angeles and I was very single and I was convinced that this was my last year to find true love or else. And I blame the movie My Best Friend's Wedding. It's the movie, you know, where Julia Roberts has this um, deal with her best friend who is really, really eligible and miraculously straight that if they're both single at the same time when they turn 28, that they would marry each other. You probably won't remember this, but... Are you kidding? I think about that night all the time. You do. But it's not why I called. It's not. So I had a year, exactly, to find the one, or I think I would be destined to be alone forever. And at 27, I was very, very single. My last relationship was years ago, and I found myself going on a lot of first dates that also turned out to be last dates. I would call myself, you know, couldn't get a text back single. And if you were to ask my really good friend and neighbor, Joy, why I was, couldn't get a text back single, she would tell you. It was because I had a textbook type. She was convinced that every single guy I dated was actually the same person, but with just a different name. And it was true, I did have a very specific type. I was really into the creative guy who was mysterious and brooding, you know, kind of like an actor on a CW show. So that was probably why I was single. And then the other thing too was I spent a lot of 27 home, alone, re-watching rom-coms. My favorite at the time was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which was ironic because I already knew how to lose a guy in 10 seconds. Hi, my name is Gabby, and my biggest fear in life is that if I'm still single by the end of 27, I will be single forever because of my best friend's wedding. Do you want to go on a second date? 
So during this time, I found myself on like all the dating apps that would have me. I was on Tinder, the hookup app. I was on Bumble, the female-friendly hookup app. I was on Hinge, the app designed to be deleted because it crashes all the time. I even was on JSwipe, Jewish Tinder. No, I am not a chosen one. I am just a Charlotte who was really hoping that someone would choose me. And on all these apps, that is where I matched with Andrew, 31, on Bumble. And I could just tell from the three to four pictures of Andrew, 31, that there was something really special about him. He had these sparkling ice blue-green eyes and this sun-kissed skin. And when we met on our first date, I was so impressed that he looked a lot like his three to four profile pictures, which is a rarity on dating app dates. And not only that, he also had a British accent. I mean, whew. sure, his v-necks were a little lower than mine, and yeah, it looked like he might shave his chest, but he would say literally and schedule, and I would literally melt into the leather booth right on schedule. Over vodka sodas and shoestring fries, we told each other our stories. I found out that he was recently divorced. I mean, who isn't? I asked him if they still kept in touch and he told me that they reconnected recently and he was surprised to find out that they actually both were into similar kinky stuff. Well, I had just seen Fifty Shades of Grey, so I was feeling pretty open-minded and ready to tackle this kinky stuff. And I really wanted to know what type of kinky stuff, you know, I was really, really fascinated in this. I also was really hoping that maybe he was into role play because I thought I could get behind role play. I mean, I had all of these. I thought, what a great opportunity to reuse all of my sexy Halloween costumes. As a theater kid, I thought, oh, you know, this could be a great opportunity to finally get the chance to play the roles I never got cast in in high school. So I asked him, you know, all the different things. I was like, okay, what I could think of. I was like, all right, so um, are you into bondage? Do you have a red room? Is it role play? Please be role play. Please be role play. And then finally, I remembered something that someone had told me that one of the most common fetishes is foot stuff. So I asked him if he was into feet and he bit his lower lip and he nodded. And I took a bite into a shoestring fry. Is that why he ordered these? I didn't know much about foot fetishes. Uh, They didn't cover it in Fifty Shades of Grey, and my only knowledge of foot fetishes actually was from an episode of Sex and the City where Charlotte, the innocent one, AKA me, goes to a shoe store and she notices that the shoe salesman is getting increasingly more aroused as she tries on shoes. And then he gives her a free pair of shoes which she feels guilty about accepting. So with just that limited knowledge, I was like, you know, I could get behind this. I like shoes. I like free shoes. Maybe this could work out, having no idea really what a foot fetish was. So I I asked him some more questions. I asked him, you know, how did he know that he was into feet? And he told me about growing up in London and going to a brothel where there were these feet in these like little windows where he could have his way with them. And I asked him if he had a foot type and he told me clean and manicured. And I wondered, how could he be that much into feet if he didn't know it's called a pedicure? Maybe it was like a British thing, you know, how they call french fries chips or something. 
But I also felt really special that he told me this because he did tell me that he didn't tell many dates about his foot fetish. I mean, his ex-wife had no idea that he had a foot fetish until after they divorced and reconnected. So something about this made me feel hopeful. Like, you know, maybe I was chosen. Maybe there was a reason he told me this and maybe this could be a possibility that it could be developed into something. So we kept seeing each other after that date and I really liked him because he texted me back and he texted me frequently. And I thought to myself also, you know, maybe this could work out. We're both looking for soulmates, just completely different types of souls. <laughs> and one day I was getting ready for work and he sent me a text message and he said, what are you doing? And I told him I was getting ready for work and he asked for a picture and I was like, oh, he misses me, he likes me. And also like, this was a great timing because I actually looked cute. I had my hair and makeup done and I was wearing a cute dress. And so I got ready to take a picture and send it to him. And then before I could take the picture, I got another text from him that said, don't forget the shoes because he asked me to send him a picture. Okay, well, good news. I was actually wearing these really cute strappy stilettos. So I took a full length shot of myself and I even like, you know, put my heel up to really accentuate my shoe. And I sent him the picture. And as I sent him the picture, I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't mean to fetish shame because I think being able to communicate what you want in the bedroom is amazing and usually leads to phenomenal sex. And who am I to judge what gets someone off as long as it happens between two consenting adults? I think what I was feeling uncomfortable with was that, you know, we had been on a couple of dates, it had been a couple of weeks, and the more we talked and the more I sent him full-length pictures with my shoes, this was leading towards something, towards me eventually giving something up. There was a time in my life where I wanted to save my virginity for marriage, so I thought, you know, maybe I should save something for marriage, like my feet. And was I really ready to give up my footginity? And then in the back of my head, I heard my late grandmother Antoinette saying to me, don't knock it until you try it, Gabriella. I mean, sure, she was talking about her pasta fazul, but maybe also foot stuff? And how did I even know I was not into foot stuff if I never tried it, right? So I should be more open-minded. And you know, my neighbor and good friend Joy said this was my problem. I kept dating the same guy over and over again. And Andrew 31 was different than all the other guys I dated before. He wasn't creative. He didn't seem brooding and mysterious. He didn't look like he could be on a CW show. He had a British accent and he had a foot fetish. Like this was new. I was opening myself up. Kiss me. What? <laughs> what? Here? Don't be afraid to explore new horizons. I finally had decided after almost a month of dating that I was ready. This was the night. This was the night I was going to lose my footginity. We had a date scheduled, and so how did I prepare to lose my footginity? Well, I got a pedicure, obviously. I mean, he said he was into clean, manicured, or pedicured feet, so I might as well, you know, do this for him. So I go to my nail salon and I look at all the colors on the walls and I find myself really invested in the names of the colors. And I'm drawn to this like beautiful periwinkle shade and the name of it is actually called All Access Pass, which I thought was really fitting because I was about to give him an All Access Pass to my feet. And as I'm sitting down to get the pedicure, the lady asks me to pick which type of pedicure I'd like. And they, she gives me a menu and you know, normally I go for the plain one or basic one, but I saw that there was like the Rolls Royce of pedicures, a $65 spa pedicure. And I thought, you know what? I might as well go all in with this. 
So I'm getting the spa pedicure and as I'm sitting there and she's scraping off the dead skin from my feet, I find myself being incredibly ticklish. Like I can't sit still. I'm so nervous that I'm gonna kick this poor woman in the face and I'm really, really trying my best to like stay as still as possible. And I start freaking out because I'm like, if I can't sit through this pedicure, how am I going to sit through, you know, losing my virginity? I'm going to ruin the mood. Well, I somehow pull it together. I sit through the whole pedicure. My feet look great. It feels like I have new feet, fresh skin. It feels amazing. And as I'm getting ready for the date, I find myself focusing a lot less on my hair and my makeup and what I'm wearing and more focused on one thing, my shoes. Because if I was to wear a high heel, that would look really cute, but also it could ruin my pedicure. And then if I went with an open-toed shoe or a sandal, you know, would that be too slutty? <laughs> so I went for a ankle boot with a sock, so there was more to take off. Uh, he took me to dinner. We had sushi, my favorite, and it was going really well until the shrimp sushi arrived, and I watched him devour an entire piece of shrimp sushi in one bite, and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I sign up for? But I kept telling myself, you know, don't knock it until you try it. You might actually enjoy yourself. So we go back to his place after a few drinks and he goes down on me and then downer. As he's there, he first slowly, seductively removes my ankle boots and then my socks, like he's kind of peeling off my lingerie. And then he kind of like sucks on my feet a little bit and nipples on them, like he's kind of taking off the dead skin, which was really shocking to me because I had just spent $65 on a spa pedicure. Why was there still dead skin on my feet? And the whole time I was just in my head thinking about this, you know, I wasn't really enjoying myself. I was trying not to laugh or kick him in the face. And I was just in my head about it being like doing the math, being like, okay, well, first of all, well, now that I've given up my virginity to him, does he think feet is always going to be on the table? Do we even have sex or is it just this? Is this what gets him off? I don't know. Also $65 for a pedicure every two weeks. Like, I, I mean, that is way above my pedicure budget. I don't know if I could handle this. But you know, I end up not kicking him in the face, not laughing too hard, it, it goes over fine. And then kind of after that night, I, I stopped talking to him and it really wasn't because of the foot fetish. It was really more because I lived in West Hollywood and he lived in Burbank and that commute in Los Angeles is just brutal. So we never saw each other again. We did the mutual fade. It wasn't really ghosting or anything. And I hadn't thought about Andrew 31 for a while now until one day I was on Snapchat and I posted a picture of my new socks that said happy on it because I thought it was funny, happy feet. And I posted this picture, not even thinking. And an hour later I went to go check to see who saw the picture because I'm very secure and I don't need social media for validation whatsoever. And as I checked to see who saw the picture, I noticed that Andrew not only saw the photo, he also took a screenshot of it. So maybe I wasn't his soulmate, but perhaps I was the soul that got away. Years later, I found out that Andrew is actually engaged now to a girl that he met on a foot fetish website. And that just made me so happy. I mean, he had a whole marriage where he wasn't open with his wife about his foot fetish and maybe I helped him get this out and be honest with himself about it. And that's how he ended up with his current fiance. Like that made me feel so great. As for myself, I turned 28 and 29 and 30 and 31 and 32 and I had some relationships here and there but I realized it didn't matter how old I was there was no last call to finding love but I kept an open mind when it came to dating 
and I went back on my favorite dating app, Bumble, and when I was 32 years old, I matched with this amazing guy who is not my type whatsoever and even has my neighbor Joy's approval, as she said to me when she met him, Gabby, thank God you finally broke your patterns. It's like you found a cashmere sweater on sale because Joy doesn't really believe in dating apps, but whatever, it worked out. And we're still together today and we're very happy and he is my quarantine partner and we are surviving it so far. So I guess he must be my soulmate. You know, the Buddhists say that if you meet someone and your heart pounds and your hands shake and your knees go weak, that that's not the one. When you meet your soulmate, you'll feel completely calm. <sighs> I feel very calm right now. How about you? I feel like I'm about to get arrested. Yep, we should probably go. This is Risk. This is Annie Lennox behind me now. And we just heard from Gabby Conti. Gabby has a new book called 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s. It's available wherever you listen to or buy books. And folks, if you have not been over to patreon.com slash risk, there's so much that's been happening over there recently. We just put up this check-in between Brad Lawrence, our story coach, and Barb Poe, who told that incredible story about escaping from a martial arts cult uh, several episodes back. And we have a new one up by Sister Flora Floozy Goodtime <laughs> from a show that we once did in conjunction with Body Storytelling. I believe that was back in 2015. So he's sucking that dick, and oh my god, it comes out, and it's like a tripod. She could lean over against a wall and still smoke a cigarette without touching her face against the wall. It's fantastic. So you can hear that and so much more over at patreon.com slash risk. Over 150 bonus stories and over 60 check-ins, those behind-the-scenes conversations. 
We very much so need the financial support of our listeners, and we deeply, we're deeply grateful for it. There is another option other than Patreon if you want to make a one-time donation. That is at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from the remarkable Darylise Lyons. Darylise has shared some unforgettable stories on the podcast over the years, and you can find her podcast at demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Now, there's a lot going on in this story. There's sexual abuse. There's self-harm. This is about a very rough patch that Darylise lived through, but told with such honesty and compassion. So without further ado, here she is now, Darylise Lyons, with a story we call Trauma Bond. I'm 17 and I'm reckless (laughs) and I love being reckless and I love the feeling of superiority that I get when people come up to me on the street and in nightclubs and say things like you have the perfect body and at the same time even though I love that feeling of exhilaration and that feeling of superiority I'm also keeping some major secrets about what I do behind closed doors and the things that I think are unlovable about me and that I can't ever share with anyone. And then I'm at a club one night and I'm dancing and Destiny's Child is singing Say My Name. And I lock eyes across the room with this tall, dark, handsome Brazilian guy. He's 21 and he introduces himself to me. And it's hysterically funny because 
even though Destiny's Child is singing Say My Name, neither one of us can pronounce the other person's name. He calls me Dara with a rolling R, and my name is Dara, like Sarah, but with a D. And I call him Fernando, even though his name is actually Fernando. But it doesn't matter that we don't get that basic thing right because all that really matters is that we can escape in each other. And so we leave the club and we get into his back seat and he's on me and in me and it feels like exhilaration and maybe even a little like love. And even though I don't actually expect to ever hear from him again, I give him my phone number, my landline at the house where I live with my mom, my stepdad and my sister. And he calls me the next morning really early and wakes them all up. And he says, I couldn't wait to talk to you again. And I can't wait to see you. And I know that really neither one of us wants to talk to each other. And frankly, he still has a very heavy accent. And so I can't understand half of what he says anyway. But we get together and we fall into this instant relationship. And pretty soon I've moved out of my house with my mom and my stepdad and my little sister. And they didn't actually want me there anyways because of the things that I was doing behind closed doors that Fernando didn't know about. But I move in with him. And we're living together and we're cheating on each other, but not like the conventional kind of cheating where you're cheating with another person. He's a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I have this secret thing that I do, which is that I leave the house at night and I go to every food restaurant within a five mile radius and I buy everything I can afford and I stuff myself and I throw up in these bathrooms, these public bathrooms. But I tell him things like, oh, you know, I'm going to Kinko's or I'm going to buy batteries, even though I've never once went to Kinko's and I don't come home with any copies and I never buy batteries. I don't even actually own anything that requires batteries. But one night he gets suspicious because obviously I'm full of shit since I'm leaving the house every night at nine o'clock at night and telling him I'm going places and coming back without anything to show for it. And so he follows me and he loses me somewhere between Kinko's where I didn't actually intend to go and the Porchester Coach Diner where I did go and buy food and throw up in the public bathroom there. And when I get home, he is livid. He's so irate. I've never seen him that angry before. And I walk through the door and he's like, where the fuck have you been? What have you been doing? Who have you been with? Can't fucking trust you. You're a liar. You're a whore. And I was like, wait, hold on. Like, no, I wasn't with someone else. I wasn't doing what you think I was doing. And he goes, well, what were you doing? And I said, well, actually I'm bulimic. I was binging and purging. I eat food and then I make myself throw up. And he said, oh, so you weren't actually with someone else. And I said, no, I'm bulimic. I forced myself to throw up. And he said, oh, thank God. And from that moment on, it actually, we got closer somehow because now I knew what he was doing and he knew what I was doing. And neither one of us really cared that we were self-destructive because it felt like what we had was love. You know, isn't that what love is? Being able to self-destruct with the other person, being fully aware that you're self-destructing and loving you not only in spite of it, but because of it. And as long as every night when he came home and I came home, the only item on the agenda was to fuck and pretend that it was love, we were happy or I guess... I don't know, as happy as two people can be who are on a downward cycle into addiction.
problem with addiction, though, whether it's an eating disorder or anything else, is that the addict gets worse, never better. So pretty quickly, my 130-pound body got down to 96 pounds, which on my five foot seven and a half inch frame, I pretty much looked like a human swivel stick. So <laughs> that was not sexy, but he seemed to want me and love me or lust after me anyway. And for his part, he got worse too, which is, you know, he went from just being a drug user to an aspiring drug dealer and not a very good business plan if you're using your own product because he could not do any of the math and he wasn't very discerning, which is why he couldn't essentially differentiate between whether someone was a drug user or a narc. And so one night he sold to a police officer, got arrested, got thrown into jail. And when he came home, I was asleep and passed out. I purged 12 times that day. So I was shaky and insecure and just laying there and in and out of consciousness. And he got home and I think just his feeling of being a failure and of not being able to get what he wanted and of not being able to get high he just didn't know what to do and there I was vulnerable and weak and scared and uncertain and when he climbed on top of me I said no I said no and stop and don't and please stop and he didn't care or he didn't hear me because suddenly he was on me and in me the way he was every night. And I tried to push him off of me, but I was 96 pounds and he was strong and and I just couldn't. And I felt powerless and trapped. And as it was happening and as he was coming inside me, I remember I had all these thoughts like can I get pregnant if I haven't had my period in six months? And if he comes inside of me, does semen have calories? And if it does have calories, am I going to have to eat less tomorrow or exercise more, make up for it in some way? And the last thought that I had, the one that trumped all the others was, he must really love me to be able to do this to me. And after it was over, the scary part was that I actually loved Fernando more. And leading up to that point, I remember I had wanted to leave him. I'd wanted to end the relationship, but I didn't want to leave him anymore following that. I felt like this is what real love is. We spent the next eight years alternately just loving each other and hating each other and hurting each other and helping each other and falling more and more in love and lying and cheating in various ways. And and then, I don't know, he started to wake up first and he got into recovery and then he demanded I get into recovery. And after that, I realized that I didn't actually want him, that somehow being in a relationship with him and having the eating disorder felt like they went together. And without the eating disorder in my life, I didn't really want or need him anymore. And for him, he started to realize just that we weren't compatible and that our relationship was really very, very painful. And so this thing that for years we thought was love was really just nothing more than a trauma bond. We went our separate ways, and I will say that I still have a deep love for Fernando. 
But I also understand that whatever it was that attached me to him was the same thing that attached me to my eating disorder, which was just this desire to punish myself and escape my life and escape my body. And today I don't have that anymore because today I love and want and appreciate myself. And today I no longer seek out people who will hurt me and I don't hurt myself because I love me and I have a measure of self-respect that I couldn't have gotten to without being in those painful relationship cycles with myself and with Fernando. And I'm not with anyone today. I'm single, but I am fuller and more wanted and more validated than I have ever been. And I feel free and I feel joyful and I feel completely and totally worthy of not only love, but respect and safety. And I have a relationship with myself that is deeper than any relationship that I've ever had with anybody else. And I no longer seek trauma bonds because when I connect with people, it's because I love them and because they love me and because we want what's best for each other. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Iggy Pop behind me now, and we just heard from Darylise Lyons. Don't forget to check out her podcast, Demystifying Diversity, and thanks to Hope Brush for editing that story. I want to remind everyone that there are two Risk Live shows coming up that you can see in person 
on stage. The Risk Los Angeles show returns on March 15th, 7 p.m. Pacific time at Hotel Cafe. You can also get tickets for the live stream. And then there's the March 17th show, Risk in New York City at Caveat on the Lower East Side at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. You can get tickets for either live show or the live streams of them at risk-show.com slash tour. Folks, don't forget to check out our school at thestorystudio.org. So many different kinds of workshops available over there, including two-day workshops that you can take online and our custom-tailored workshops that we do for all kinds of businesses and organizations and creative teams. That can all be found at thestorystudio.org. Org, and look us up online on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're at Risk Show. You can find our website with everything you need to know about pitching the show, attending live shows, looking up our merchandise. That is all at risk-show.com. You can find my own personal one-on-one training that I do, uh, storytelling training with folks, over at KevinAllison.com. And you can look up my socials on Twitter and Instagram at TheKevinAllison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Okay, filing this away, thinking about that, some clues. Molly, you in danger, girl. I don't know who she was, she wasn't there, I was there by myself, I should not have been. Get out of my house! Fuck! Tall, skinny, rude, (laughs) hunger, starving, ghost. Ghost.